Hi, Simon Hill here. Enjoy our podcast. If you'd like to help us keep delivering the sort of quality football chat you want, then you can show your support by making a donation. Big or small, however much you can afford, we appreciate all your help and every cent will be ploughed back into improving production. Thanks in advance from all of us at Shim, Spider and so much more. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. much more take it away fellas yes hello again welcome along to episode 38 of shim spider and so much more we're back after our little easter break and there is plenty to get through over the next hour or so a w league grand final for example the matildas return to the international stage and in the final segments we've got perth glory legend bobby despotovsky with us in footballers lives What's been happening in the lives of Jelko Kalats and Craig Moore, though? Uh, good to see you guys. Spider, you've set up a goalkeeping academy. Yeah, look, quite exciting. Uh, something come out of nothing, really. Uh, the opportunity arose uh, to set up an academy, which I start in two weeks. So I'm busy preparing that. And it'll be a, a six-week block uh, there at FC Rudej where I did some coaching for their first team and uh, we'll go from there. But uh, yeah, quite exciting and uh, looking forward to, to seeing the talent that they have here in uh, Croatia. But what's it called, Spider? The, the word spider has to feature there somewhere, surely. Yeah, but it's a little bit different in Croatian. Pulp doesn't sound the same. <laughs> <laughs> it's somewhat it is. <laughs> So yeah, it's it's just simple. We'll just go with my name, Academy. That's it. Okay, fair enough. Um, Maury, on a slightly more serious note, you've been doing your bit to raise awareness for testicular cancer, which of course you you suffered from a few years ago, uh, and tragically, uh, people like Dylan Tombides did did not survive. Yeah, no. Look, I, I I done stuff a long time ago, Simon. I had a I had a lad phone me many years ago. Uh, his name was Craig. Funny enough, uh, just asking for advice, going through something similar. Um, and he set up a foundation over here. Um, and I spoke about on a radio uh, a few weeks ago. So it's, it's got a little bit of publicity. Um, I'm doing the radio also on Tuesday night with John Hartson, who's another testicular cancer survivor. Yep. Um, you know, but we obviously know the unfortunate uh, scenario for many others. And, and Dylan Tom Beatties is, is one example. So it, look, it's awareness and continually talking and making sure that 
um, we're not great at, at maybe checking ourselves or, or speaking to doctors, but it's just to raise that awareness. Absolutely. Good work, uh, Maury. Um, I'm an ambassador as well for the DT38 Foundation. Uh, Dylan Tombides. I, I did have to smile over Maury at, at the way that the Scots um, pronounce the word balls, which is B-A-W-S. <laughs> and I saw a response to, to your little uh, post saying, Daddy, forget to check your ball. <laughs> With a W at the end. Oh, brilliant. All right, let's go on to the football talk. Hard talk is up first. Hard talk. Hard Talk is brought to you by Streamgate, one of Australia's first live streaming companies operating since 2008. They focus on virtual and hybrid events, broadcasting to unlimited online audiences worldwide by either a secure private stream page or publicly on social media. Live streaming allows social online engagement as viewers are able to communicate back to the presenters in real time while social distancing. So should you require a small personal event or business level webcast, then please go to streamgate.com.au or you can find them on Instagram. All right, guys, let's start with the women's game this week. Uh, the Matildas returning to international action after a year-long hiatus, not the result we particularly wanted, a 5-2 loss to Germany. Uh, Maury, is this a bit of a wake-up call or just the results of that long break coupled with a few key absentees, in your opinion? Pretty much all, all of that, uh, Simon. I, I know we were missing a couple of players. I think Ellie Carpenter w w was one player um, that, that was missing out of the squad, but we still have a very strong squad. Um, but it was, you know, it was a hefty defeat even in a, in a friendly game, um, which I think is, is disappointing with the quality that we have. Um, Emily Gilnick obviously gets a couple of late goals and she was moved up top later on in the, in the match. So we finished on a positive note, but we have enough another tough, tough game coming up against uh, the Netherlands, but it, it just goes to show the quality that will be on display, Simon, at the, the Women's World Cup. And I guess the improvement that's needed to be ma made for us to be a genuine contender on home soil. Spider, uh, Maury uh, rightly mentioned that they play the Dutch next, who reached the FIFA Women's World Cup final in 2019, although they didn't win it. Uh, do we underestimate in Australia uh, the European teams? I think we, in some ways, I don't know if you agree, you know, we tend to get a little bit focused on Sam Kerr, Caitlin Ford, and Ellie Carpenter, who are all great players, but, but we, we focus on our own and we don't necessarily understand how good Vivian Miedemar is, for example, of, of the Netherlands, or Alexandra Pop of, of the German national team, because we don't really pay any attention to it. Yeah, and you know what? I, I've said it a few times, and I don't want to be harsh in the way I say it, but it's the absolute... We, we are delusional in Australia that we think that we are the, the leaders in football. We are that far behind that we actually need to wake up because some of these teams... And the preparation, Maury actually just mentioned that we have a mountain to climb to be ready for the Women's World Cup in 2023. If we think we are genuine contenders just because we are Australia and we are playing on home soil, we are delusional. So that is probably a good wake-up call. And these games that we're playing over there, now the next one is against the Netherlands, we have some good players. But the other countries have a lot more good players. So we need to wake up and, uh, and really uh, prepare these girls 
to do well at the World Cup because uh, it's not going to be easy. And we have to think that Australia isn't a leader in world football. And we need to wake up quickly. Uh, Maury, I don't know if you managed to glean anything uh, given the results and the nature of, of the display from what Tony Gustafsson is, was trying to do. The, the rumour is, is that he's, he's probably going to be a little bit more direct. Um, and I'm not saying he's going to play a long ball game by any stretch of the imagination, but a, a little bit more direct than perhaps the, the more methodical build-up under Ante Milicic. Did you sort of glean uh, any sort of indications that that was the case at the weekend? I think I think the later the game uh, went, Simon, uh, especially you know when, when Emily Gilnick sort of like went up top for a bit, you know she's a she's a big robust uh, robust kind of player and caused a lot of a lot of problems. At the end of the day, when you look at the attacking players that the the Matildas have, you know Sammy Kerr and, and Caitlin Ford, who have done ever so well over here in England, uh, and you know a fantastic combination. Um, it's important that you're able to, in the safest possible way, Simon, get the ball quickly to these girls that can make a real difference um, in matches. But midfield is also key because, um, you know, you need people to be able to provide uh, those opportunities for the girls. But a more direct st style is probably something that sits well and, and suits Australia. And I think it will be a, a, a style of play that does cause a lot of problems for a lot of teams. Um, obviously, no uh, domestic players were considered for this particular squad because of the COVID issues and quarantine, etc., um, which meant that uh, the W League Grand Final on Sunday wasn't shorn of any players, which was uh, a good thing. Uh, it ended up a very close contest between Sydney FC and Melbourne Victory, and Victory got their first title since 2013-14. Kyra Cooney-Cross with uh, the Extra Time winner, uh, fittingly enough, from a cross from a corner. <laughs> Um, right. She is she is one Maury that, that that could break into the Matildas, and that there are several others uh, in the W League as well. But uh, she looks a youngster of immense promise. Yeah, and that's the thing. I think not only in the in the, the men's game, but also the women's game is we're, we're seeing a lot of opportunity for for younger players. Simon, um, this game went went right to the wire, didn't it? Extra time and. It took me back to my day when I was a, a young lad, you know, going over and taking corners with a, with a, a, a little bit of wind assistance and just putting the ball into to the area. So it was an incredible way for, for the game to finish. Um, and congratulations to, to Melbourne Victory, obviously, for winning the, the grand final. Uh, but also for Sydney FC for the season that they've had as well. Uh, congratulations too to Jeff Hopkins, who is the first coach to win three W League titles. Um, although you could argue that Alan Stajic uh, won two plus one uh, WNSL title, the old competition before it became the W League. But so uh, well done to Jeff. Um, one more on the women's game, Spider, a more general one, a report on ESPN by Joey Lynch uh, quoting Gregor Rourke as saying the W League will expand to 12 or possibly even 13 clubs, maybe even in time for the 2021-22 season, that would probably mean the clubs that are without a W League outfit at the moment, Western United, MacArthur, Central Coast Mariners, and, of course, Wellington Phoenix, who've been very vocal in, in wanting a W League team being admitted, that, that can only be good for our, our game here. Can it, you know, and we need this home and away uh, it's a regular season rather than this miniature 12 game campaign. Yeah, 100%. Uh, it's game time, man. It's Simon. It's more opportunities. We, we keep talking about it. Uh, they, these girls are desperate. They have a 
uh, a valued competition. Not that I'm saying this one's not valued, but even better competition, especially in preparation, again, for the World Cup. Uh, it's just more game time, more chance to, to train players up and give players opportunity to break into these squads. And without opportunity, you don't get seen and you don't get a chance. Now, that's, that's another at least... 80 players in a professional environment. That's fantastic. Okay. Um, still on a similar theme, the APL, Maury, have started to become just a little bit more vocal in recent weeks. Uh, we all know that the W League coverage has had plenty of stick uh, this year. It's entirely possible that that W League grand final uh, is the last from that particular competition we will see at its current home on Fox Sports. Uh, the APL, in particular, Paul Lederer this week came out saying there are nine bidders for the rights, the A-League and W-League. There is also talk of um, them pushing for universal minimum standards of coverage between the A-League and W-League in the next broadcast deal. Um, So it's it's all starting to bobble along, isn't it? And of course, in the middle of that, Football Australia has regained the broadcast rights to all the national teams as well to take to the market to sell. My question, Maury, for you is this. Are the FA best to do that in tandem with the A-League and W-League and find a real home for football? Or is it better that perhaps we spread ourselves a little bit more thinly across whatever platforms are available? Yeah, it is a very good question, Simon. Uh, Look, I I believe that the national team, uh, in regards to the separation of the way things look now, I, I think in terms of, you know, Football Australia should focus on um, whatever way they feel is the best way to move forward for the national teams. I believe that the, that the APL uh, will probably look at something different and that obviously is more suitable uh, to the clubs. Um, you know, Mr. Letterer coming out and saying that there's a, there's a lot of interest. Let's hope there is because, you know, to be honest, what we've seen in the W League in particular with the broadcasting, it, it hasn't been good enough. And so I would like to think with, with, with new options potentially out there, it means that um, there, there will be some choice, um, which is great if that's factual. Uh, and and it's, look, it's important for me, Simon, that there is that choice because we need to be able to have some say about how our games move forward rather than having one broadcaster that, that comes in, no options, and they basically dictate everything that happens within the game. Couldn't have said it better. Um, as you say, let's hope that uh, there are indeed nine bidders uh, for the APL rights. Uh, let's move on and talk about uh, the A-League spider, Brisbane. Let's start off with them. Finally back in the winner's circle, 2-1 over MacArthur. Uh, first win, I think, since uh, early February. Uh, Scott McDonald, absent for unknown reasons. Um, but on the pitch, Riku Danzaki is having a really good season, proving there's real talent and real bargains to be found in Asia. They're a good player. Um, surprised me a bit, that result, to be honest. Uh, I thought MacArthur had sort of created somewhat of a fortress out there at Campbelltown. But, I mean, quite simply, they, they were poor. They were poor, and Brisbane were decent. They were, I wouldn't say they were outstanding. They were decent. Um, it just shows the incons- inconsistencies of teams this year. But you know what? I like Maury will know him better. That Wenzel Halls, mate. He's got something about him, that kid. Uh, he's he's hunger to score more. He's like he's he's got that 
old fire in the belly that you don't see from a lot of players. Yeah. Well, he's a type of player, Spides, that even when he's having an off day, he still looks likely to score. Uh, and, and, you know, for a striker, how important that can be because not, you know, it's not always about the goals and being unbelievable for 90 minutes. Um, you know, sometimes as a striker, you can, you can float in and out of games and it's being dangerous and being able to score that opportunity. Dylan uh, Wenzel Halls definitely has that about him. Um, but Simon, you touch on the, you know, the, the exclusion, I guess, of Scott McDonald, who's been very, very good for, for Brisbane Roar. And it is a strange one because he does bring so much to the team. Uh, so it'd be interesting to know if there's something happening behind the scenes, but certainly doesn't look as if, uh, you know, Scotty McDonald has much of a future at Brisbane Roar, if I'm being honest, from what we're seeing recently. Well, to be fair, he has had uh, an injury, of course, that he's been nursing as well. Um, I do wonder whether there's been a recurrence of that or whether there is uh, some other reason as to why uh, he was not playing at the weekend because obviously he is uh, a key man in terms of uh, on the field for Brisbane. Uh, off the field, Spider, less than 3,000 at Campbelltown. Look, this is not a MacArthur issue. It's a league-wide issue at the moment. Uh, mm. The crowds are not great. Uh, for the A-League. And yet over the weekend, we saw the Preston Lions in NPL3 down in Melbourne get a crowd of 3,500 for their clash with Melbourne Victory and uh, decent figures watching on social media as well, uh, proving that perhaps there's an appetite for a national second division. I mean, it is only one club, to be fair, uh, and we'd need more than one to form a national second division, obviously, but uh, there is interest outside the A-League as well. You know what it is, Simon? I think uh, the appetite for supporters to support their club is back at every level. Like the NPL crowds are decent, uh, again, in New South Wales and in Victoria. And you know what? I don't know what Preston have done down there to, to draw back all the people uh, after such a long time, probably not coming to football. The people just want to be back in their communities. And whichever way you look at it, when you are a Macedonian heritage or a Croatian heritage or an Italian heritage, you won't actually go back and support your club, especially now the freedom is there to go do it. And they're doing a fantastic job. So it shows there is appetite for a second division. And this is, you're spot on, uh, Spides. This, we speak about it and we have for a long time uh, through the podcast. There is a real desire and interest uh, in the national second division. Uh, for me, this is another clear indicator. Uh, people are more excited about expansion and about what the, the, the new look of Australian football um, is going to look like. So National Second Division, as we've been saying for a long, long time, let's get it up. Let's get it running. The people want it. Yep, uh, difficult to argue with that. Um, for the time being, we just have the A-League at senior level. Uh, let's continue our review of the weekend action. Uh, the Newcastle Jets spider slumping to their seventh consecutive loss uh, despite taking the lead against uh, Melbourne Victory. Big win for them. Congratulations to uh, Grant Brebner and his team, even though they remain bottom on goal difference for the time being. But uh, uh, worrying signs for the Jets. They had that little spike, didn't they, once Craig Deans uh, took over yeah. full-time, but it's, uh, it's slithered back down again. Yeah, they actually had that spike, Simon, before he took over. And then when he took over, the slide started again. Uh, in all fairness, uh, Matty Acton kept victory in the match. Newcastle should have put the game to bed. Uh, it wasn't a, great, wasn't a great game. You could see it was two teams that were struggling. 
uh, acted done really well, kept Newcastle at bay and kept victory alive to to fight for another day. And that's what happens in football matches. If you don't take your chances, you don't bury teams while the other team's got a sniff, they'll keep coming. And we all know in the A-League, all teams will play for 90 minutes. And victory did that. And in the end, they, they, they got a great result and some confidence to be taken out of the result. The Spider, how, how hard now? We, we, we know it was already a hard sale. How hard is it now to, to get people interested in want to, wanting to, to get involved with Newcastle Jets? It just seems to be um, a club that, as we've touched on there, in, in pure disarray. I mean, you know, yeah. discussions about potentially losing Stephen Agarkovic, um, mm. which I, I believe is not a discussion. I think that, that that's a done thing. Um, trying to get investors to, to get involved and be excited about Newcastle Jets at this moment in time seems very difficult. It's, it's hard, Maury, because I tell you, I think Newcastle's a fantastic club. They've got fantastic supporters. They've got uh, very parochial about their town, their club, about everything that's done there. And I, it's just sad to see that it's in so much disarray and to see a team like this performing the way it is. Now, I, I, don't, I don't know. I can't put my finger on it. And I, I don't want to like start pointing and directional, but there seems to be no direction, Maury. Like they seem to just make bad decision on bad decision, whether it's recruiting, whether it's uh, employing of staff, whether it's a style of football. It's just, it's penny, it's a uh, penny cutting, ain't it? Really, everything they do, and these are the results you get when you cost cut like that. Well, I mean, to be fair, Spider, they they are currently owned, of course, by a conglomeration of three or four A League clubs. Um, who not just now, the, Simon? Yeah, not, well, not, that, that not was the now. point. That was the yeah. point I was going to make. That you know they are interim uh, stakeholders because it's difficult to find new owners and sponsors, particularly locally, because the local community sadly has been burnt not just once or twice, but three or four times. You know, by the various regimes that have have come and gone in Newcastle, and you know when you're perhaps owed money. From from the club, you know, why would you put your faith in <laughs> in the Jets once more? Look, you, you hope that they can sort it out and and find an owner that really cares for the place because, you know, I, I think and I think everybody agrees, Newcastle is one of the cradles of football in Australia. There's a real passion for the game there, um, but unfortunately, they have been poorly owned, poorly led, poorly managed for for a long time. Uh, we should also point out that uh, kudos to Laurie McKinnon, who puts his hand in his own pocket, as reported in the press this week, uh, the best part of $400,000 to keep that club alive uh, during those dark days. So there are good people in Newcastle, um, and you just hope that uh, new owners will be found sooner rather than later. Yes, Maury? Just on that, Simon, uh, absolute credit to, to Laurie McKinnon. Uh, obviously, for, for, for I mean, for doing that for me is incredible. But the flip side of that is he should never be in a position where he's having to put his own money into that football club, which goes back to what we're, what we're saying about Newcastle Jets. It needs to be better. That's football in Australia, isn't it? Unfortunately, at the moment. Uh, let's move on to uh, other games. Uh, Sydney FC and Melbourne City ending up 1-1. This was the big clash of the weekend, Spider. Uh, Costa Barbarousas found his goal touch again. He's got three in three games now. Um, but it was cancelled out by a 98th 
minute penalty from Jamie McLaren, who's now the second top A-League scorer of all time behind Bessart Parisha. By the way, that penalty reminded me of the penalty at, uh, against Fabio Grosso at the World Cup. It was like similar movements, the way uh, Wilkinson went down, the way Tilia went over him. I went, oh, mate, this is, we're in Germany again. Uh, it was, it was exactly the same. No, no, it was a pen. It, it was a pen, 100%. But it was the same, actually the same movement, the way he went down. It was, the only difference was more it was on the other side of the park. Yeah. But um, the game Were you having cold sweat, done. Spider, when you saw that? Yeah, <laughs> it, was, it, was yuck, it was yucky poo, mate. Let me tell you, when I seen it, I went, <laughs> oh, yuck, I remember that. Uh, but you know what? It was a good game of football. It was two, two very good teams. Two very good teams that will, will be there, thereabouts at the end of the season. Uh, Sydney will be very disappointed, obviously, to, to concede a penalty so late. Melbourne City, on the other hand, will be delighted. Good points shared, I think, uh, for both teams, and uh, they'll be there somewhere. They'll, they might even get, meet in the final again. Good points shared, but you touched it. Corica, he would have been absolutely fuming Oof. the way that, that finished because they, they were in control, they had possession, game management. All of a sudden, you, you turn the ball over at that stage of the game, and um, you know, City go up the park and, and, and get the penalty, and Jamie McLaren dispatches uh, as we, we, we know that he can do. So disappointing in the end, but yeah, it was it was a decent game and probably a draw's a fair result. Uh, a goal apiece also, and a red card apiece in the draw between Adelaide United and Western Sydney Wanderers. Uh, Tommy Juric back for the first time since February and uh, scoring, I think on his 50th A-League appearance as well. The Wanderers now uh, four without a win. Spider, could Tommy Juric yet come again for the, the Socceroos? I don't think anybody doubts the talent that he has. It's just about getting him fit and keeping him fit, isn't it? Yeah, look, uh, I'd like to say yes. Uh, but he's just, his body doesn't handle it anymore, Simon. You actually have to man-manage his body to get to get him to play a certain amount of games. Uh, and that's it. that's been his problem for a long time. Uh, no doubt he's a good player. No doubt he can score goals. But you need to play games consistently. And we play in Australia 27 games. And if you can't play 27 games and stay fit, you know, that's that's a real problem. Uh, I think Carl Vitt will be pulling his hair out the little bit that, that he's got left. Uh, players are so ill-disciplined. Like, ser seriously, the red card that Dorigo gets is absolute stupidity. Like, he's already on a yellow card. Your team's winning 1-0, and you're diving for a ball at a halfway like that. It, it, you know what? It actually drives me insane. But that, that's just lack of experience. Lack of experience by, by young players. But, yeah, again, Adelaide... I think Adelaide would have won on, went on to win the game very easily had they not got the red card. And Wanderers got themselves back into the match. Uh, shared points again, probably probably even. Not much between the two sides. Uh, but, yeah, you move on. Wanderers will be happy with the point, I guess. Uh, Spider, I want to stick with you just uh, for another question on that game. Uh, Daniel Margush. Uh, put in a good display again. He's having a good run of form at the moment. Maybe there's speculation about Danny Vukovic potentially joining the mm. Wanderers has had something mm. to do with that. Uh, we've spoken before on this podcast about the performances of Joe Gauci. It, it appears mm. that we've got one or two good young goalkeepers starting to, to make the breakthrough. I'm going to put you on the spot here. 
I know that a couple of years ago you said that Paul Izzo is the guy. Paul Izzo is the guy to break through. Now, he's gone overseas, of course, to Zanta, your former club. If you had to sort of stake your, your money on one of the young goalkeepers at the moment in the A-League, uh, becoming the next Matty Ryan or Mitch Langerak, who would it be? Hmm. Very good question, Simon. Thanks, buddy. <laughs> You're uh, welcome. <laughs> yeah. Look, what, what I see, see good young goalkeepers learning their trade. They're still making mistakes and they're not getting dropped for them straight away, which is confidence for these guys. I think Glover's, like, he, he made a big mistake for the goal they copped on the weekend, but I think he's been really good and I think he has a real opportunity to, to probably to go for the Socceroos in the future. I, I would say Glover would be the one that I would, I would, uh, I would back going uh, to a certain level. But as you said, Simon, there's a lot of good young ones. Mark Gush is not young, guys. Huh? He's 23, but he's just never played in the A-League before. He hasn't had the opportunity because that's the setup in Australian football. Delianov was the same. Uh, Gauch is the same. Mate, Glover, if you remember Glover's first year at Central Coast, mate, was diabolical. You, you could have written him off back then, but he got another opportunity a few years later. So he's, he's developed with, with games, with making mistakes. So I, I think it's great for all these young keepers. I, I think there's another one at uh, MacArthur Suman, who was at Western Sydney Wanderers. There's another big galoot that could have a have a good opportunity in the A-League once he gets some game time. So, look, there's a lot of good ones. And as we spoke about before, this A-League is giving these young guys an opportunity. I do love that description. He's just a big galoot. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Maury, before we head overseas, uh, one more game to run the rule over. Wellington Phoenix uh, defeating Western United by... Uh, three goals to two, a late winner from Ben Wayne. Uh, good win that for Rufuk Tale's team, who, strangely enough, has been linked a little bit with the Melbourne victory job, not that it's available at the moment. Um, the question, I, I guess, is the opening up of the New Zealand travel corridor with Australia. It might just allow Phoenix to go home, but um, I would imagine it's pretty difficult for them to relocate permanently at the moment because all it takes then is one new COVID case in New Zealand and, and they're stuffed and the A-League is stuffed. Yeah, so look, I mean, the reality is I don't think you'll see that this season, although the corridor has opened, which is fantastic because we know the amount of business, um, you know, that happens between Australia and New Zealand, which is great. Uh, it's funny, I actually spoke about a little bit to Scott Chipperfield of late and you know, talking about the Wellington Phoenix and being based out of Wollongong and you know, Chippers was like, but more, he says, nobody even talks about Wellington Phoenix. No, nobody even knows that they're playing here and it just seems again, like I says, it's 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 been the the, the right solution for this season, Simon. Yeah. Uh, you know, due due to COVID, but obviously, as soon as we can get Wellington Phoenix back playing home, uh, which hopefully will be next season, I think that's in the best interest of all parties. I don't think there's much doubt about that. All right. Uh, thanks very much, guys. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. 
Europe's for the moment. Let's head overseas. London calling. London calling. With over a century of experience, ACPE's industry-recognised specialist bachelor degrees will turn your passion for sport, fitness, health science, education or dance into a career. Interested? Of course you are. Find out where ACPE can take you. Apply online today for Semester 1 2021 at acpe.edu.au. Well, Maury, let's uh, start with the Premier League um, and the Premier League as a body, along with others like the English Football League and PGMOL, the Referees Association, uh, has come out this week calling for social media companies to take responsibility uh, for the abuse and the racism directed towards their players and everybody else. Um, some clubs are threatening to step away from social media altogether. And I, to be honest, I think that's a really good strong, powerful message that a very influential group of people in society, Premier League clubs that are very popular amongst the British population, uh, I, I think that's going to put real pressure on the social media companies and not before time. Do you agree? I do. I 100% agree. I know Swansea have taken a week away. I know yep. Rangers, have, there's been a few other clubs. I mean, Thierry Henry, we spoke about a couple of weeks ago coming off. The only way that these platforms are going to understand that this has to stop is probably by um, hurting in their pocket. And, you know, there, there's a lot of talk now, Simon, as well, about other, other, other platforms maybe being, being set up and, and people just shifting because of um, what's been continued yeah. uh, to happen and be allowed. And, you know, we've had... We're talking about it all the time, which is great, but... In a, in a weird kind of way, I think it's actually um, it, it's making more cases continually happen week after week, even after today's game. Uh, Son, uh, Tottenham v Man United. There, there's another incident after that game. It just seems to be never-ending. It's every weekend we're hearing of things. So action has to it has to happen. You can't talk about it. A week off no. social media is is a message, but it's not going to change. Um, so governments need to step in. Action needs to be taken. Um, we touched on it before in terms of, you know, people, um, you know, being taken to court, jail time, in the football sphere, heavy suspensions, and clubs fined. It has to stop. It does. Um, <clears throat> and this comes on the back of a week when the Valencia players, of course, walked off in support of their player, Mukhtar Diakabi, uh, who was allegedly racially abused during the game against uh, Cadiz. The one thing that I couldn't quite believe, Spider, I actually read that uh, story on Twitter, the Premier League saying, you know, we demand action and we need demand verification of people's accounts uh, before they go on social media. And beneath it is a stream of hundreds of comments, many of which are blaming referees <laughs> for the abuse, saying, well, if they didn't make mistakes, then they didn't get <laughs> abused. I mean, you know... Yeah. Talk about not getting the message and missing the no. point completely. This is a cultural issue within the game. Guys, there's some seriously ill people out there. It's as simple as you can be. Man, we, we can talk about it till we're blue in the face. But, mate, there's some serious sick people out there that actually don't get it. They don't get it, mate. They need to wake up. We can sit here and we can talk about it. And, okay, because we probably we think normally. 
There's a lot of people that actually don't think normally. We can talk, but they don't care what we talk about because in their brain, there's another thing and they've been brought up the wrong way. And that's as simple as that. And the more these uh, big uh, social medias and stuff like that, they make some authenticity where there's accountability. Mate, we're going to have this crap forever. And that, that's the stuff. The faceless stuff, obviously, um, there needs to be accountability. But Spides, even like, say, on the football field, right? And you're right, it's, yeah. it's ingrained. It's ingrained because I've been angry on the field. You would have been angry on the field and you've had run-ins with players and all that sort of stuff. If the first thing that comes into your mind is to to racially abuse somebody, then that's that's culture. That's um, that that's something that's been there for a long, long time. Long so, time, hundred percent, Maury, hundred percent. The only way that that can be changed moving forward is um, is massive education. Um, you know, in schools, in life in general, with kids to educate them about. Um, you know the, the the black sort of like culture and history, and also about the white side. Like, it's mass education at yeah. the moment. There's too many people, but it's ingrained. Yeah, yeah. I think yeah. the I think the polarization of societies uh, in the West politically is certainly not helping as well. <clears throat> I just want to play devil's advocate here for a moment and ask you this question. On this similar theme, Arsenal at the moment copping an awful lot of criticism. Uh, Emmanuel Petit coming out, calling their recruitment, and I quote, ridiculous. Gary Neville saying there is, and I quote, a little mafia in their dressing room. Martin Keown adding, and I quote, somebody needs to punch them after their Europa League display against Slavia Prague. Now, those words are not racist. They're technically not abusive, but they are inflammatory, aren't they? And... Does one thing lead to another? Do ex-players who appear in, in the media and journalists as well, do they have to be a little bit more careful in the language that they use? Words are powerful, aren't they? And people who are not quite as educated or across all the social issues can maybe take their lead from that and take it one step further and think, well, look, abuse is okay, so why is racial abuse not okay? Mm. Yeah, maybe. I mean, yeah, you know, the yeah. abuse is okay when it's deserved, uh, but it's got to be sort of put in the right way. Like, I mean, I feel for Arsenal supporters, right? And I know some of these ex-players are saying certain things. They played for one of the best teams ever of Arsenal, and they want people to always be like that. This is a new generation. Arsenal probably don't spend that much money compared to the big boys, what, what they spend in England. But I'm, t- I'm so, talking about the language that, that is used um, and, yeah. and how inflammatory in, in the modern era with social media those words can potentially be. I'm not saying that the message is wrong. No. Yeah. I'm asking whether they need to temper their language a little bit because of what's going on elsewhere in society. Yeah, yeah no, well... It's very strong. It's very strong, Spider. The language is very, very strong. And look, we know what it's like. We've been inside a football environment, inside a football club, and you know the, um, the day-to-day operations and, and what actually happens. And then you'll get a lot of people that, you know, and we're on the outside now. Uh, you know, the people that you mentioned there, you Gary Neville's, Emmanuel Petit and Martin Keynes, they're on the outside, Simon. So a lot of the, what they say is, is speculation also. But you're right, because of that voice and because of their platform, 
the supporters jump on it. So you know what it is, Maury? I'll, I'll say something. Like they're on the outside, right? But these guys are legends at the club. So it's only a phone call from someone that's inside, that's seeing all this happening, that says it to them, that fuels fire, and they come out and say something like, so where there's smoke, there's got to be some fire in there. Um, but saying you're going to punch someone in the face. <laughs> yeah. and, and, okay, so flip, flip side of that argument, Spoids, right? So yeah. you, you, spent, you spent five unbelievable years at, at AC Milan. Yeah. Right? Now, if you're hearing a, a lot of things that are happening behind the scenes, right? Yeah. Are you then going and, and, and pushing that information publicly? No. No. I, I, I wouldn't do that because I'm a different character. Uh, it's, not my, it's not my style. But you would, you would hope that people that are ex-players of these clubs would actually try to help and pick the phone up. Like, by, by saying the comments that they say, they actually fuel fire. And Arsenal has a lot of supporters. And then when one gets on the bandwagon, but it still doesn't take away the abuse that people throw out there and the kind of abuse that they throw. Okay, um, that's a topic that is uh, clearly going to run and run. Let's uh, talk about some on-field action. Uh, we'll breeze over this one very quickly. Manchester City 1 leads 2. <sighs> a bit of a smash and grab by uh, Martello Bielsa's team, but uh, full credit to them with 10 men. They had to defend uh, Maury brilliantly uh, against City, who did make seven changes, maybe with one eye uh, on the Champions League, but a terrific win for Leeds. We've had a very good first season back in the Premier League. There is a little bit of talk that Bielsa might not be at Leeds next season. That would be a pity, wouldn't it? Uh, it would be because he's done a, a, an absolutely amazing uh, job at, at, at Leeds. So, I mean, you touch on this game. This game, is if it's played 10 times, um, that this particular match is the only game and the only time that Leeds would win. Uh, it, was, it was so much in the favour of Man City. And I think you describe it very well. Very much a smash and grab. Mate, I, I think I think City's wheels are falling off, Maury. I think they could lose the title. <laughs> <laughs> Let's throw that one out on social media. Oh, dear. Let's see how much abuse I get. I'll tell you, here's a serious question, though. If City were to lose against Borussia Dortmund during the week, the second leg, go out of the Champions League, would that make the season a failure? Even though they could win still the treble. Mate, I'm telling you, that, that game is going to be a banana skin and a half for, for Man City. And if they get knocked out, it is a failure of a season because you know what you want to win. You want old big ears. <laughs> and I think that's, that's, more the question. that's more the question for you, Simon, because you speak on, on behalf of an injured shirt <laughs> and, and share the, you know, the same opinion as, as many Man City supporters. Would you see, um, you know not being successful with a great opportunity in the Champions League, but still, uh, you know, winning the, the title, would you see that as a failure? Yeah, well, I'm not sure I speak on behalf of all Man City fans, but uh, yeah, it's a good, it's a good point. I, to be honest, I think it would be perceived as that, um, certainly by, you know, the, the public and the media at large, uh, because it is the holy grail for Manchester City and they keep getting knocked out at this quarterfinal stage. And I think that tie is still very much in the balance. I know City are still the, the hot favourites to win the Champions League. Um, but when you have a talent like Erling Haaland, um, who is capable of you know, scoring goals against any teams, and you've got a second leg to come at home with only a one-goal deficit, and you've got an away goal in the bag, mm. 
it's it's going to be very very difficult anyway by this yeah. time next week when we do this podcast we shall know you might have a different host if we've lost um <laughs> let's <laughs> let's move on and talk about another team who are involved in a big champions league game during the week uh this is a massive week for liverpool uh, they, they got their first win at anfield against aston villa their first win there since december after eight games without a win at home which is very bizarre um, they've got to try and turn around this 3-1 deficit to Real Madrid during the week. Um, Trent Alexander-Arnold uh, spied out. He's having a real up and down few weeks, isn't he? He was the hero again at the weekend. He's been the villain and the hero in various games over the last few weeks. Mm. Um, how do you see them going against um, Real Madrid in the Champions League? Look, uh, that tie's not over. Uh, I think we mentioned a couple of weeks ago, I said the Real Madrid had just hit form at the right time. Uh, and it was, a, it was a game I actually really didn't know which way to go. I don't think Liverpool's out of the tie. I really don't. Um, but Real are just in such good form. You know, you know, they played without any stoppers. They played without Varane and they played without Ramos. And they were quality. And then the other night against Barcelona, they were brilliant again. Liverpool, uh, on the other hand, Simon... On the weekend, they beat Villa, and you could actually see the frustration and the disbelief in the players that they couldn't win games at home. Like it was, they were attacking and things weren't going their way. And then the joy, or maybe the monkey off their back when they finally beat Villa, uh, the way they did, I think that'll give them a lot of confidence going into the return leg against Real Madrid. But it's not over. It's two goals. Liverpool can win. If they had a crowd, I'd I'd be more mm. positive. Without a crowd, I'm I'm not sure. I'm not sure if they can overturn it. Okay, uh, Manchester United, good win for them at uh, Tottenham again. This amazing unbeaten away record, which has lasted all season. Uh, the big incident, Maury, was the Son Hyung Min one, yeah. which has caused an almighty stink between the two managers in the post-game press conference with Ole Gunnar Solskjaer saying if it was my son, he wouldn't get any food for that. Mate, it was a foul. It was That's a foul. A, ah, come on, Spides. Come on. Uh, there, there you go. Difference of opinion. Difference of opinion. Very, very soft. I, I can see why they give it, but I'm thinking, oh my God, the amount of contact, it happens all the time. Son's obviously... Made the most of it. Um, the goal was cancelled. But, yeah, the, the most interesting part was, like it says, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's comments. And, and then Mourinho obviously jumping on the back of that, saying, well, basically, um, as a father, to say that I would not feed my kids if he's made a mistake, like that's, that, that's just crazy talk. So, a bit of fun and games after it, Simon, but... Manchester United continue, uh, you know, that incredible away form that you touched on. Um, really good win. Uh, Tottenham have been a little bit out of sorts, but, you know, did have their, their noses ahead. But Man United were the better better team on this occasion. If they win their game in hand, Spider, they could be just eight points behind Manchester City now. <laughs> I don't know why I'm even yeah. suggesting this. Yeah, um, no, that's, But that's it, a, it that's has happened before. Hey, that's a I remember point. in 2012... City yeah. were eight points behind with, I think, only five, maybe six games to go and turned it around. It could, could happen. Um, could West Ham in the Champions League happen? Big win for them against Leicester. Nearly threw it away again. This has become a bit of a habit for them. But how good, Maury, is Jesse Lingard at the moment? He is absolutely on fire. I had the, 
the privilege to, to watch West Ham um, at Man City. Uh, and I was so impressed with Jesse Lingard on that day, Simon. He, he, he just seems to be a player that has huge belief in himself. I've, I can't understand why. Maybe just because he was, he was at Man United for such a long time and in and out of the team. Um, but at West Ham, the impact that, that Lingard has had on this team has, has, has been really unbelievable. Um, in the end, it looks tighter than, than what it probably was. Uh, Ian Archo obviously gets a, a couple of goals. The last one was, was in, in stoppage time. Very, very good uh, result for West Ham. And I'll tell you what, um, surprise package of the season because we spoke week one, week two um, about potentially how West Ham could struggle this season. Yeah, yeah, it's true. It's true, Maury. But, mate, why don't they just kick off with a 3 0 head start and then just let everyone else get back into the game? Like, seriously, <laughs> mate, imagine the West Ham supporters. They'd be, mate, they'll be having their five or six pints watching the game. And the yeah. dog's abuse they'll be giving them when they get the 3 2 is not normal. And Leicester also, Brendan Rodgers had, he had to, he left players out due to a breach, COVID That's breach. That's right. Yeah, James Madison among them. Yeah. Among them, yeah. Interesting. Um, there's uh, one or two people saying, are Leicester going to drop their bundle and drop out of the top four? I'm not sure that's going to happen. Um, last one, guys, uh, before we move on. Uh, the Fulham against Wolves game. Goodness me, this offside decision to deny Wolves a goal. Uh, William Jose denied because his teammate Daniel Podence was off by an armpit. Uh, and Liverpool had a similar incident. Diogo Jota's sleeve <laughs> rolling out. Uh, Scott McDonald said on Optus on Saturday night, we should go back to feet only. Do you agree? Uh, for, for me, for me, yeah, the body. For me, yeah, the body. But, mate, I'm not going to get into it because no one listens to us anyway, Simon. What's the point of getting into what? <laughs> mate, Don't undersell the, the podcast, of... Spider. Not Plenty the of people I'm talking in general. I'm talking in general. What's the point of us talking about rule changes when, mate, Joe Blow out there is mate, telling us this is what we're going to do. We've got to have VAR. Like, they don't listen anyway. So what's, what's the point? Mate, it is what it is. Until they change the rule, we can't do anything about it. I'd put a bomb in VAR if I could. But, mate, they ain't listening. We've... To... We've told them for the last month, get rid of it. But we can say that this offside carry-on, I know that there's, you're either offside or you're not now because of the technology. Spider, <laughs> <laughs> that they have in the countries and competitions that they use it in. And for me, I just think that if you're going to go with something, and I don't agree with it, I really don't, surely it has to be implemented across the board. Because the rules and the regulations... Um, and the technology and all sort of stuff is working in the countries with it, but, but other countries are guessing because they don't have it. So it's not, mm. it's not standard. Um, yeah. Well, the feeling is the feeling is is that we're sometimes guessing in the A League, of course, because we don't necessarily have the right camera angles to find a definitive answer. Anyway, that's that's, uh, that's true as well. That's, on, that's true as well. Just on that one. Sorry, we probably should have mentioned it in the Australian part. The game that was called off. Um, Perth Glory against was it Sydney? They, they, they got cancelled in the 89th minute. And uh, then, yes, and then, yes. And, then the, and so obviously considered to be dangerous, and there are rules and regulations in terms of stopping that. No problem with it at all. Then then Fox is still carrying out interviews on the field. Yes. <laughs> hey, go, Maury, go figure. It's just, it's just the show must go on, my son. Oh my god. 
And the hey, show. I, I want to play. I want to play this game, Simon. Where who was it? Was it Van Busten or one of these great? One of these great said, "Mate, get rid of the offside rule altogether, mate. I can come out of retirement and play up front." <laughs> well, you got the hype for it, um, guys. Our show must go on, so we're going to head into our final segment today, and uh, we've got another big name guest waiting for us in Footballers' Lives. Footballers' Lives. Well, our guest today was born in Perth 49 years ago to a Macedonian family, but just nine months after his birth, the family moved to the then Yugoslavia, and he grew up in the town of Pansevo, just outside Belgrade, where he began his football career as a junior with Red Star. He returned to his place of birth in 1992, starting his Australian career with Floriat Athena before joining Heidelberg United in the NSL. He had stints with the Morwell Falcons and Heidelberg again before returning west to join Perth Glory in 1996. And there he stayed for the rest of his professional career, scoring well over 100 goals, winning two NSL titles and forming arguably the most potent strike partnership the National League's have ever seen in tandem with Damian Mori. He won four caps for Australia, typically scoring five goals, and only last year finished up a stint as head coach for Glory's W League team. He is, of course, Bobby Despotovsky. Welcome, Bobby. How are you? Not too bad. How are you, Sam? You're on the golf course this morning, waiting to, waiting to go out and have a hit. We know that. So we'll try not <laughs> to keep you um, too long. That's okay. Um, Bobby, let's start with your, your background and those early years in Europe, which uh, I believe also included playing handball, which you had quite a talent for. Yes, yes. I, I played handball uh, coincide with, um, with obviously soccer going, uh, growing up. And uh, obviously later on in my teen years, probably about 16, 17 and 18 years of age, I decided to switch and, ju- and just stop playing handball and just concentrate on the, on the sort of a soccer career. But um, yeah, I, I played both of them coin, coincidentally for long, um, a long time. So yeah, it wasn't it wasn't bad. It was it was it was a game obviously that is not that popular here in Australia, but it's in Europe. It's quite big. You were a junior, as, as we mentioned, at Red Star Belgrade, uh, and then you played, I think, for your local club, Dinamo Pančevo. Uh, is that where yep. your skills were, were honed as a footballer? Look, you know what? It's 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 overall um, uh, indoor and um, indoor soccer that we played in, in uh, um, inside, obviously, um, especially in the in the in the winter months. But um, yeah, ov- overall, it's uh, between the the junior soccer school at uh, at the Red Star, or the juniors at the Red Star, and and later on as a, as a junior into the senior team um, at Dinamo, that um, that sort of uh, made me footballer who, who who I was actually. And then, as, as we mentioned, you, you came home. You made your NSL debut for Heidelberg. I hope I've got my facts correct here. I've, I've had yep. a good look at this. Against Adelaide City under Michael Urukalo, uh, 1994. Mm. Um, you lost 1-0 to a, to a Joe Mullen goal. Do you, do you remember that game? And your first goal a couple of weeks later, which I think came against Marconi, a game that ended in a one-all draw, but you lost because in those days, drawn games went to penalties. <laughs> Yes, correct. Yeah, it was it was a funny funny way to uh, to sort of uh, draw the game and then you lose it on the, on the on the penalties. But um, yeah, I, I do remember the the game against um, Marconi. I can't recall the game against Adelaide City though. 
Um, but um, yeah, I, I had uh, fond memories at, at Heidelberg and, um, you know, they gave me a first opportunity and I'm um, forever grateful for that. Even though you, you ended up getting relegated that first season, you finished bottom of the league, <laughs> the Burgers. Yes, yeah, I think after that, that year, I think everybody, I think three clubs went outside of the league. I think it's Damon, Damon, uh, David Hill, I think. Um, Paramatta Melita went, went out, I think, Heidelberg and uh, Brunswick Juventus, I think, uh, went out of the league and they went into the into the Premier Leagues or NPLs now, up, uh, as, as we all know. Fortunately for you, Bobby, uh, there was a certain club called Perth Glory that were just about to enter the NSL, your hometown club. Uh, you signed there in 96 and uh, nearly 10,000 there for the first game against uh, Sydney Olympic. Was there, do you remember there being a real buzz about the place? You had Gary Marocchi as coach, but of course, uh, infamously, Nick Tanner um, as, as the head of the club. And uh, he, he really sort of sold the concept of Perth glory, didn't he, to the people of WA? Yeah, look, you know, we, we didn't expect anything. I mean, we, we had the local, local guys playing apart from, I think... Uh, uh, Gavin Wilkinson was the um, New Zealand international in that first year. And, and then I think later on, Vinko Bulubasic joined us from, uh, I think, Melbourne Knights. But, um, or Melbourne Croatia at that time. Um, uh, uh, we, didn't, we didn't have no expectations. You know, it's a local guys getting together. It's like a state, state team and just enjoy the game. And um, that first game, I think it was 10 tails and 10 and a half tails and took us by surprise. Because I remember in those days, we used to had in our contract that um, the club had to break even with about five or six thousand people at the ground and uh, first game we, we had a bonus and and he called a crowd bonus which was the 25 percent of all the income that comes in has to be distributed to the players if we have anything above five or six thousand people and um, realistically, obviously, that 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 was cut from the contract second year, knowing that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, was, it was great, but um, you know, it took us it took us by surprise how many people actually turn up to 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 watch that. And obviously, you know, us just being um, free scoring team. Um, we considered a lot of goals, but we also scored a lot of goals, and I think the crowd loved that. And um, they just had a party. They, they had, you know, an hour and a half before the game starts, there was the bands playing and the dances. And it was just like a party atmosphere. And Bobby, back in the day, obviously with Perth and, the, and then we know the travel and all that sort of stuff, uh, which, is, which is difficult. But interstate travel, would you travel the day before the game? Yeah, we travel always uh, day before. Uh, in the morning, usually about seven or eight o'clock in the morning. Then we arrive, obviously, uh, with the three hours difference or two hours difference. It all depends where we're playing. We arrive late afternoon. We sort of settle into the rooms and then we go for a little walk, dinner, sleep. And then in the morning, it's like a breakfast and a stretch, like a walk. And then obviously preparation for the game in the afternoon or whatever you're playing. So there was a professionalism, Bobby, about Perth Glory, really, even in those early days that perhaps, you know, the other teams didn't have to the same extent. Very, very quickly, we, we all signed as a part-timers. You know, we all had, the, I mean, I remember I was still making shoes in the, in the first year when I joined the Perth Glory in 96. For that matter, every, every single player, apart from Gavin Wilkinson and maybe another one that was a full-time employed by the club, everybody else was the part-time. I think when... Um, Vinko Bulubasic come from um, from Melbourne, Croatia. I think he was the second one that was a full time, 
And then after that, every, everybody was turned. Second year, everybody became the full-time professional footballer. Now, I'm going to ask you about some specific games in a moment. But first of all, I did do a little bit of research. You played against a certain Zelko Kalach on four occasions, I think, in the NSL. But you didn't score against him. Didn't score. I lucky, was, lucky you said that, Sim. I uh, mean, <laughs> I can't believe he's... I can't believe he's gone and done that research. And you know what? I was actually trying to think if you'd played against me and scored against me, and I was trying to think which goal I fucked up. <laughs> I, was, I was actually, I remember the first time I saw Jelko in goals. I think we were at, at um, uh, King Tomislav Stadium, I think, Sydney, Sydney Croatia, and... Um, I actually, I got scared how tall he is. I'm going, if I came no anywhere near this giant, he's going to crush me. So I was staying way, <laughs> way away from him. Yeah, Bobby, you did have one ruled out for offside, though, as I, uh, as I recall, against Spider. That's, that, that's normal for me. I was always... <laughs> <laughs> um, let, let's return to, to Perth Glory and uh, uh, the arrival of Bernd Stanger, which sort of... Uh, transform the club from being very popular within WA to being actually a challenger for, for NSL silverware. And he brought in the likes of John Markovsky, Kombudzianis, uh, Troy Halpin. Those are the sorts of players that sort of kicked you on to the next level and made you real contenders. Yeah, definitely. Look, you know what? We we never lost our sort of uh, uh, flavour of, of Perth. You know, we were, we were not, practically we were not that technical but we could run we could tackle we, it's it's typical what what sort of a australian player was in those early days of nsl when the glory came in you know we could tackle we could run we were very very fit especially with gary marocchi at helm we training we, we were used to training like like crazy um and um, you know when bernstanger came in he identified obviously uh what we lack and um, you know he started bringing the players into the into the club that uh, is going to help us get to the next level and and he did you know he, he brought in like um, the names that you mentioned simon and um, you know we started playing a little bit better football um, more attractive football we started scoring goals more and uh, and not only that defensively we were more sound so we would, you know we don't have to score four or five goals to win the games like before or three or four, we you know win sometimes one nil, two one. So we were really real footballing team after that. You made the grand final for the first time, 1999-2000. Uh, that game against the Wollongong Wolves, uh, you're three nil up at half time, and somehow you contrived to lose it on penalties. Does that defeat still haunt you? Um, you know what it did. Until until Liverpool beat AC Milan in in uh, Istanbul, I don't know if Jelko's yeah. still probably. Thanks, mate. I wasn't there yet. <laughs> it was the year before I arrived. So ah, okay. <laughs> so so I did not feel good about that game until that happened. And then I'm thinking, look, if the full time professionals like AC Milan can actually um, allow themselves to 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 um, to lose the game after three 0 up. Then I said, look, you know what? Plebs like us can do it here in Australia. Uh, <laughs> oh, dear. The following season, uh, Bobby, a certain <clears throat> Damien Mori arrived. Uh, in the first season together, you plundered 35 goals between you. It, it was the start of, of a long, very, very fruitful partnership. 
did you hit it off from the starts and you know what what was the 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 magic between you the little bit of chemistry look we um I, I remember Damien arriving and um, we all knew um, his sort of a finishing skills. Uh, we just needed to put the ball in front of him. Obviously, he's been so quick and, and strong. Uh, we just needed to provide that for him. And we look around, around the team who can do that. So, so me starting in, in, the, in the midfield and then later, later on in my teen years going to the forward, I could always drop in that hole. And um, we, just, we just decided for me to do that rather than midfield being committed to go into that hole and provide for both of us. Um, and, and you know what? It, it, we usually talk about every single game on each occasion when we played here at Mount Lully Golf Club. He was member at the Grange in, in, uh, in Adelaide. He transferred his membership here to Mount Lully. And uh, every Friday after training session, uh, we're usually training at 10 o'clock in the morning. Um, finished about 11, 30, 12 o'clock. We just had come here for the afternoon hit. And we were usually talking about, um, you know, who, who we're going to play. We're going to play, say, for instance, South Melbourne or Brisbane or whoever, and what their strengths and weaknesses are. And who's going to go, say, for instance, if, um, you know, Jason Petkovic from the corner gets the ball, who goes long, who comes short. Uh, all of those aspects of the games, we did it here at Mount Lawley. And, um, you know, everything we um, the needs to be provided for him, it's me that um, that responsibility responsibility fell onto, and um, you know it was uh, it was very very easy to play with him. And it was almost a telepathic uh, partnership. It, it helped Glory get to another grand final in two thousand and two. You lost again, another forty thousand plus crowd. Was there a point where you were thinking this is not going to happen? We're, we're destined always to be the bridesmaids. Yeah, 100%. Look, I think that second one, I think we lost against Sydney Olympic with Ante Milicic, won the goal from right. 40 yards left footer. I don't think he ever scored the left footer again after that, mm. but he pinged it mm. into the top corner. It was a good goal. Um, yeah, look, you know what? I did, um, I did an interview after that, and um, I said, uh, actually, year after, I think, or year after that when we won it, I said, look, you know what? Losing two grand finals the monkey become gorilla on our back because it's, it's so much. It was so much pressure on us to win one, especially when you have, you know, 30, 40 thousand people here supporting you and knowing that first two times you just fell short. And it was, it was, I remember that first one when we won it against uh, Sydney Olympic, I think at, uh, at um, Subiaco, it was so much pressure on the boys. So that's where the glory gorilla comes from. Um, as, as you mentioned, you, you finally got the, the win at the third time of Askin in 2003, uh, seen off the same opposition. And then, of course, you backed it up the year later in the final season of the NSL, uh, defeating Parramatta Power. Um, both those championships came under Mitch Davray. Did he do anything differently to, to change your fortunes? I mean, you, you've been there or thereabouts for many years, but he finally got you over the line. Yeah. Yeah, Mitch was more, Bernstanger was more, more sort of a, uh, it's, it's, Bernstanger, to put him in perspective, he, he was like a politician. He, he was going to the crowds, he was attracting people through his um, charismatic ways and talking to people. And but where Bernst, um, Mitch Davray, he was more tactically switched on. So he corrected the positions of the few players. He corrected my position as well. 
Um, and the first time that the coach said to the striker that you're working too hard. I didn't understand what he was saying to me because I, I, would, I would do anything for the team. But in one way, he was, he was saying, stop going back for the ball. You're going to make your life much easier going up front and staying there and do your bid in front of the goals. But uh, yeah, he, he, he tactically, him and Alan West, obviously, uh, Vesti was um, sort of a defensive-minded coach and Mitch Davro was more sort of attacking-minded. Um, so those two together were, um, were a great partnership and, and great for, the, for our team. They sure were. And you got those uh, two titles and the gorilla was lifted off the shoulders of, of Perth yep. Glory. Um, the A-League then, of course, started after a little bit of a hiatus, um, which wasn't so kind to Perth in the early years. Uh, did you lose the, all those advantages, do you think, that you had in the NSL and that sort of sense of invincibility that you'd built up during that era? You know what, Simon? It's, it's, it's not that we lost it. It's that everybody else stepped up. Hmm. You know, and, and, and uh, we were left where we were before. Uh, we didn't improve in any aspect of, of anything. We just thought that, oh, yeah, everything is going to happen for Perth Glory. But obviously that 15 or 16 months of break, or 18 months of the break, it was too long for some people and some people turn off and, uh, you know, we couldn't, obviously, we could not attract players like before, before we were the only full-time professional team. Now, every single one of them are professionals. Mm -hmm. So why would you leave Sydney, Melbourne or Brisbane or Adelaide to come to Perth when you have that exactly the same setup next to your house? So, um, you know, what? We, we were a little bit uh, left behind, especially with people at helm at that time did not recognize that we need to improve as well. Mm. And, um, you know, caught us by surprise and um, it took us a long, long time to, uh, to recover. Bobby, you, you were also 34 by the time the A-League started, although you still jointly won the Golden Boot in, in the first year of uh, the new league. Do you wish you'd have had a little bit more time in the modern competition? Look, I played first first two years. Mm. Um, obviously, the new competition. Uh, I did, I, personally, I didn't think that is any better than the NSL. Obviously, everybody was professional. Everybody was a little bit more fitter, and it's on TV and all of that. That was the difference. But uh, you know, um, number three, four, five, six, probably and seven um, edition of I League, it just stepped up and just went through the roof, which was which was very very enjoyable because we. Obviously, we know that the guys went to the World Cup on the back of the 2006 World Cup, successful with the, with the, um, you know success that uh, that we had in um, at the World Cup. All was that building uh, building on was was great for the I League. Unfortunately, after after the addition ten, I think we just lost a little bit of it, and it just it just started um, sliding. But uh, we can get it back. We can get it back. I think. It's interesting you say, Bobby, that we can get it back. That's a question that I kind of had for you. In terms of our earlier achievements and, and the league 15 years old and all that sort of stuff now, have you seen massive improvement? And, and in terms of the future of Australian football with, you know, broadcast deal, still no season in place yeah. for, you know, like what is there concerns from yourself in terms of the future of Australian football? Look, yes, Craig, it, it's, it, it, you're absolutely right. But um, I, think, I think now, um, and I I'll always say that uh, in terms of COVID-19, I think for, uh, it, was, it was beneficial for Australian football. We, I think when we lost that little bit is with the owners wanted to bring 
seven or eight, which was proposal to bring eight international players. That would kill Australian football completely. I completely disagree with that. And I, I, I reckon that we should go to one international and let kids play football here. We got good enough kids, but they never been provided opportunity to play. And, and that's the key now with the COVID-19, we, we were forced to go to the local kids. And even that the start of the league was a little bit shaky and everybody goes, look, I, I think we lost a little bit of a, you know, flay into the game. Now, often you, you can see on TV that you can watch some of the games. You know, the, the other day I was, well, Melbourne City is now hitting the stripes. You know, um, Carl Viet is doing a great job at Adelaide. You know, Garcia is promoting a lot of kids here in Perth. So every, um, look, Melbourne victory as well. Yesterday struggling, but it, there is a lot more positivity now with kids than before with all the players. Um, do we go that way? I, I believe so for longevity of the, of the league and football in Australia, I think we need to go that way. Um, also, because of those young players, I mean, we are the only country in the world, Craig, that we can be. You can be 23, you can represent the Olympic team and you, you don't play three games in A-League at your, at your club. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's, that, that is in, that, that's the crime in itself. I mean, yeah. we need those young kids to, to play football, to be better and to test themselves. And maybe for those reasons, we cannot actually progress anywhere in under 17s or under 20s or because they don't play football. They play NPLs and play uh, second league. I mean, we got youth league that plays eight games. Yeah. I mean, you need to, pro uh, you need to produce the young player with eight games to play against best young players. And on the end yeah, of the day... Bobby the, yep. the the biggest problem the biggest problem there is is all financial, mate. Like uh, <laughs> at the end of the day, you know, if we had an under 20, 20 competition or an under twenty one competition, you give these players more time to develop and to progress into the first team. But mate, that all comes down to money. And you yeah. know what? I mean, I'm here in Europe as well, and it's no different here. Maury will know it's no different in Scotland and in England. Mate, yep. In England, they have big money behind them, so their clubs can afford to have under-23 competitions, under-21 con competitions, and have these players under contract. In Australia, we don't have the financial viability to give these players contracts and opportunities like that. So these kids have to show they're good enough at under-18 or under-19, or they, they decide, people decide, at 18, 19, that these boys aren't good enough to have a career. And that's ridiculous. That's ridiculous. Absolutely. 100% right, JP. And, and, and is that due to A-League has too many internationals and then you benchmark these kids against the, somebody that played in the La Liga or somebody that played in the German Liga, somebody that came from Italy. Some, I mean, it's unfair for, for kids to be benchmarked against Diego Castro or Diamanti. Or, uh, or Ninkovic, or those caliber players are well and truly, obviously, uh, the best players in Australia that we have at this point of time. But you, you bring your 17-year-old and you're going, okay, you have to be as good as him to play in the first team. It's completely unfair, yeah. in my opinion, anyway. Bobby, um, <clears throat> I want to ask you one more question about your own playing career before we move on to some uh, Twitter questions. Uh, we mentioned that you, you played four times for Australia. That was all at the Oceania Nations Cup in 2002, a, a tournament that uh, ended in uh, disappointment as New Zealand won that particular competition. Do you, do you feel as though you, you deserved a few more caps given the amount of goals and success you, you had with Perth? 
Look, I don't, I don't dwell on that. If, if, if yes or no, it's, it's, it's simply opinion of the of the coaches at that time. The coaches, um, the coaches that been at at helm at the national team, uh, um, you know, decide who plays, who doesn't. And I don't, I don't, I don't sort of uh, um, use any energy of thinking. Oh, yeah, I should have probably ten or fifteen caps, or, or I, I was happy with four. Um, you know, whenever country call me to, to represent the country, I'll make myself always available. It's not a problem. At that time, we had um, obviously good players representing the country. And, um, you know, I don't look. Yes, maybe. No, maybe it's 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 up to the coaches. I don't I don't use any energy on, on, on that, Simon. And, um, you know, if they, they decided and I respect their, their, their opinion at that time. And most recently, Bobby, of course, you, you have been coaching, as we talked about at the top, with the Glory W League team until last year. Uh, you won W League Coach of the Year in 2017, uh, took them to two grand finals. Unfortunately, you weren't able to, to win either of them. Uh, are you still got ambitions to get back into coaching? I do I do coach second division here. I stepped yeah. away because of the COVID. And, um, you know, the gig at the Glory Girls was, uh, was very good. We were doing something... Uh, where we promoting the youth youth of Perth, we sort of uh, made ourselves three to five year plan where we in the in the fourth or fifth year of the, the W League we're gonna have no internationals. We maybe have one or two in, in uh, players from the Eastern States, but majority of the team is going to be local. And and that was well and truly on 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 the way until the COVID hit, and then. We didn't know if we we're going to start or we we're going to go into the hub. And, and as you know, being the part-timer, uh, how the hell I'm going to go to my boss and say, look, you know what? I need 12 weeks to go over East to be in the hub to finish the season. Mm. So I, I, I could not afford that um, uh, to go there. And that's why early enough I, I said to the club, look, I, I'm going to step away, bring somebody in that uh, is going to continue this work and uh, and be available for the for the, for the girls traveling away or being in the hub um, full-time. So they did. Okay, let's uh, finish off with a few Twitter questions from our listeners. Um, this one is our question of the week. $100 Outback uh, Steakhouse voucher is winging its way to Tim Shiros or Siros. Uh, Tim asks, um, I don't know if this is true, but I think it's a good question if it is. Uh, prior to Perth Glory, you trialed Bobby and were offered a contract by Sydney Olympic. Why did you not sign up? Um, I don't. I don't think. I don't think I got offered um, contract at Sydney Olympic. I, I was trialing there. Yes, that's that's true. Um, I think, in my view now, looking back, I did extremely well, and I I think that uh, some of the committee members did want me to sign, but I, obviously the coaches that were at, the, at that time at Sydney Olympic disagree with that, and um, yeah, I, I, I went back. Okay, there's your answer, Tim. Um, this one, we have to ask this one, unfortunately, Bobby, and I'm pretty sure you knew this one was coming. This is from Luch. Do you regret showing the Knights fans the Serbian hand signal and starting a brawl? You know what? It's, um, uh, when, you, when you look at it, it's, uh, when you look at it back now, uh, in hindsight, uh, it worked quite well for me uh, because even the people that did not know me before that used to even even to to this day now because i yeah you're the guy with the three finger salute and um you know what when you when you look at it, i remember nick tana um saying saying to all of us 
sometimes even the bad publicity can be turned into the good publicity if works for you. Mm. Obviously, it was it was uh, not intentionally done, but uh, somehow it turned out to be good good in my in in my personal sort of a. Uh, for my for my personal sort of a well-being and and, and um, you know promotion of my personal sort of a um, persona, if if I if I can say that. Interesting. A um, couple more, and then we'll let you go, Bobby. Uh, sure. Les, Les Stevenson, uh, who was your favourite strike partner at Glory? I guess Damian Murray's got to be up there, but there were others. Vas Caligarakis was was uh, in the earlier days. I think you played alongside Paul Strudwick as well. There was Nick Merger a little bit later. Yeah, Nick Merger is a little bit later. Um, funny enough, when you're talking about Paul Strudwick, he's actually inside watching watching the Masters as well. <laughs> right. Um, um, yeah, look. Damien, um, Damien was um, one of the one of the good ones that to, to play with. Obviously, with the return goal wise, um, but one of the one of the more sort of a flamboyant guys are, are Vascal Gorakos. Um, he's just um, different different kid at that time when when he was playing. You know, growing up in Perth and uh, you know have so much talent. And um, now when you look back. Um, did he waste majority of that talent? In my view, probably he did. But uh, it was a different, different, um, different days in, the, in those uh, those days. You know, we didn't have, you know, managers or we didn't have, you know, um, people around us to support us like maybe people now these days do. Bobby, you've ex you've worked in the women's game. Uh, my question's two parts. Can Australia win the Women's World Cup in 2023? And how good is Sam Kerr? Look, Craig, I don't, I don't think I don't think we at this point of time are good enough um, to win the World Cup. Uh, we're going to give it a good shot. Uh, I think our defence is a little bit too slow. And um, yeah, we got, look, semi-final probably, maybe quarterfinals, some something something around there. Uh, the fact is that a uh, hell of a lot of countries invested heavily in the women's sport. And as we know, especially Europe, and I called this probably about five years ago when I said to, uh, to people that if the, um, if the Europe wakes up, it's very, very easy to put a women's game on, um, on the map because obviously all the infrastructure and everything else, as you know, you played all your career in, in, in England and Scotland, infrastructure is already there. Only yeah. thing that you need is 20 players and the coach. So everything is already there. He is, say, for instance, two, two million pounds, go and find a team. It's very easy. We're here. We don't have infrastructure. We have to travel away. We, I mean, I'm looking at from Perth Glory point of view. Every year we have to negotiate our stadium with Perth Soccer Club. Every year we have to find, is the physio going to stay with us? So we, we sign the players year to year. Nobody has more than, than year contract. It's, it's really, really sort of amateurs. And um, the, the fact is that we had a good team is that aging now. And uh, it's, it's almost nothing coming behind. It's exactly, is exactly what we did with Australian men's football when we admired for so many years, you and Jelko and everybody that played in, in that, be, we, without doing the background and the background work to know that Craig Moore is going to retire in three or four years. Let's do work now to get next Craig Moore 
Onyx Gel Calats, Onyx Viduca, Onyx, you know, Harry Q. We were too busy admiring you guys. It's exactly what we're doing in the women's game now. We're admiring Sam Kerr rather than actually looking for one now. Yeah, and, uh, you know, in the next four or five years, she's going to retire and it's going to be very, very big void. Salient points, Bobby. Uh, I think it's a good way to uh, finish off. We've probably kept you long enough. Um, mate, it's been absolutely fascinating uh, recounting your journey uh, with Perth Glory and uh, the national team and everything else. Uh, we really thank you for your time, Bobby. Uh, great talking to you. And uh, go out and uh, hit a few birdies on that uh, course this morning. I'm gonna, I'm gonna try. The rain just stopped, and um, and um, <laughs> light is just coming out. Oh, there you go. As you can see, <laughs> and um, yeah, happy days. I don't have to work today, guys. Lovely, <laughs> lovely to chat all of you. Jelko, you too. Craig, you too. And Simon, always pleasure, mate. Thanks. Good on you, Bobby. Really appreciate your time. That is uh, Bobby Despotovsky, and that is us for this week. Join us again next week for Shim, Spider, and so much more. Bye for now. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.